Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here, as always, with Chris Winningham. Now that you found us, make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast provider. That way you'll get all of our old episodes as well as all of our new episodes. As soon as they post, you'll find episodes from this particular podcast on the Heat, the Dolphins, the Marlins, the Hurricanes, the Panthers, and more. Also, check out the other podcasts in our network. We now have 14 others. And those include, of course, Miami Heat Beat, Three Arts Per Carry, Fish Tank, which had Patrick Sertan on this week, and also uh, our new ones, Chamber Podcast. And I'm told that there'll be a new episode of Out for the Count that is out soon. Also, check us out in Spanish, very different version of us. Uh, they're a little more energetic. They talk over each other a little more than Chris and I do. Uh, <laughs> but, it's, but it's entertaining, Cinco Razones, uh, which I can never pronounce correctly. But uh, check them out. They actually did a Heat episode themselves this week. All right, it is... Trade deadline day. The trade deadline is over. We're coming to you at exactly 3.30. So the deadline was half an hour ago. We taped an episode yesterday morning on Wednesday. And then a few hours later, the Heat made what turned out to be their only trade. So if you listen to that episode after that, you're probably like, what are they talking about? They traded Wayne Ellington and Tyler Johnson. But that's only because we didn't know that was going to happen last night. So, Chris, what we're going to do today, we're going to start with the Heat because that's where everybody wants us to start. And then we'll kind of move to the moves that were not made, and then all of the sort of smaller moves that were made. So let's start with the Miami Heat. Yesterday, uh, trade made to send off Tyler Johnson's contract. That's really what that was about. Um, As well as Wayne Ellington, who we projected would be traded probably for tax relief. We didn't think it would happen in quite this form, but ultimately it's what occurred. Uh, Over to the Phoenix Suns for basically what I call the rights to Ryan Anderson because Ryan Anderson has not really been a productive player for the last year and a half or so, but his contract is a little friendlier than Tyler Johnson's trading Wayne Ellington gets the heat uh, in a better tax situation. And so this was about tax salary cap flexibility going forward. It doesn't add a lot, but it adds a little bit. And then also I think cleaning out the roster. So basically making it a little bit easier for Eric Spolstra to make decisions, something that I've been calling for, and now, with no other trade today, with Goran Dragic still here, with Deion Waiters still here, with James Johnson still here, with Hassan Whiteside still here, at least we know now who are the Heat players that Spolster is picking through for the rest of the season. If you were to say Heat trade deadline, disappointing, somewhat promising, as good as they could do, how would you evaluate it? I would go as good as they could do. Uh, I mean... I don't have expectations for the Heat to do anything at the trade deadline because I think uh, just sort of getting a sense. I mean, I, I listen to NBA podcasts damn near the whole day long, uh, along with ours, and um, and I just basically get a sense that the league doesn't really have much interest in anything that the Heat have to offer unless they're willing to put uh, their important, you know, their key young guys on the table. If they're going to put Winslow, Richardson, and Bam on the table. Uh, or you know their first round pick this year or any future first round picks, um, the Heat's you know, middle to high end salary players 
are just of no interest to the rest of the league. And so I guess you can't really be disappointed when you have no expectations, which is my feeling. And I just, I follow the fan base on social media and I just don't know what they expect. Like, I don't know how, if basically you're mad and you're mother bleeping your own team when you're losing to Chicago, uh, why you would think then that somebody else or, or, or some other team is going to watch the tape of your guys and go, I want some of James Johnson. I want some of Deion Waiters. Like, the Heat this year um, are, are clearly embarking on a plan. Uh, it might even be a two-year plan. Hell, it might even be a three-year plan if you include last year. They're embarking on a plan to basically write out some time, uh, make you know, get, get the eighth seed, lose in the first round, and uh, and and sort of go again in a few years. I guess the one thing that's changed for them in planning for that calculus is something that we've talked about a bunch, which is that players are no longer waiting to get to free agency so they can have pitch meetings. They want to be traded to where they want to go, or else uh, you know they're they're not going to sign extensions places. So that's really the only thing that's changed in the intervening period. So I'm not, I'm not surprised that James Johnson wasn't traded today, that Deion Waiters wasn't traded today. I thought maybe Goran Dragic might. Um, we here in the network heard a little bit about that, but not, you know, nothing too concrete. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised at all that. I will say, though, I've been thinking about the Tyler Johnson thing a little bit, and I was surprised that basically Phoenix – wanted Tyler Johnson that uh, clearly they didn't want Wayne Ellington they didn't think either they could flip him uh, which for me I guess is the disappointment of the season is that Wayne Ellington turned into an asset that was useless uh, because you thought maybe at the beginning of the year if you played well enough you can get a first round pick for him and in the end you couldn't even get a second Um, but clearly Phoenix had some space on their roster uh, that you know of Ryan Anderson and decided you know what we think Tyler Johnson could help our team and I think that's kind of the interesting part is that really Tyler Johnson was the only player that was identified on the Heat's roster by an NBA team where they went, you know what, that player could help us. And Phoenix is in need of guard help. And clearly they wanted to keep Tyler Johnson because they clearly had no use for Wayne Ellington. So if that's the case, Chris, then isn't Mickey Harrison off the hook a little bit? Because no, Tyler, no, no, well, he's not. <laughs> well, 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 Tyler Johnson was his, right? Like, yes. according yes. to our understanding of this, and, and look, it, it gets a little crazy because you hear different things from different people and then somebody, you know, makes a decision, doesn't want to take responsibility for it. This is how it kind of works. But my understanding of it is that Eric Spolster really pushed for Kelly Olenek. Um, but Pat Riley was the one who was smitten most with Dion Waiters. Pat was the one who pounded the table to keep Hassan. Um, James Johnson, I'm not sure about. I still think that was sort of agent trickery because they were dealing with Hayward, who had the same agent, and all of that sort of played together. But Tyler is the one that we've talked about. That was Mickey. That that was nobody else in the organization uh, who made that ultimate call when the offer sheet was out there. Mickey wanted to keep him. We've heard that from everybody. That's consistent. Nobody's ever disputed that inside the organization to me either. So, I, I, look, is he totally off the hook? No, because obviously you had to basically what uh, take you know, give up Wayne Ellington for what that's worth. And then you had to take Ryan Anderson, who you wouldn't want at this stage of his career uh, to, to get rid of Tyler, so to speak. But of the four of the four contracts we talk about, like you said, it's the one that they could move. He's still a useful player and he's a young enough player that I guess if, if, if Phoenix is, has this really young core, and they want somebody who can carry a little bit of a scoring burden for them along with Devin Booker in the interim, that it's not a terrible play for them. Um, you know, as far as Ellington goes, you know, I had hoped that they could get something for him, but ultimately he was the sweetener to a certain degree, right? Because I, even though Phoenix cut him loose, Wayne Ellington was just a player that, that they needed to make the money work. And, and so ultimately, if you were trading Tyler, you're getting 
uh, Anderson back. So w- what's sort of your feeling about, you know, what ended up happening with Wayne? I- I'm surprised. I, I think uh, this year has definitely been a disappointment um, in terms of, I mean, Eric Spolster had to make some decisions along the way. Wayne Ellington wasn't helping them win, and clearly his value peaked uh, along with a lot of players um, in in that uh, in that 2017 period into last year, where you know he was a great three point shooter and defended capably enough to stay on the floor, but. Something happened in between uh, the off seasons where Wayne Ellington uh, ceased to be useful, uh, clearly in the minds of the of the Heat, and uh, we'll see what ends up happening in the in the buyout market. It was reported that Indiana is in on Wayne Ellington, but um, but yeah, just that. It, it, it turned into a point, and I think the NBA has kind of gone away. As much as Tobias Harris, I think, is this player for Philly, um, you've really seen a, a sort of lack of willingness for teams to go all in with a player with just this, you know, a role player with just the remainder of one season left and then you lose him that summer. You're basically renting him for five months to then lose him as a free agent. You're seeing a lack of willingness for, you know, departing with a first-round pick for a seventh man, which is what Wayne Ellington would be in an ideal, you know, in in, in a best-case scenario. So I, I'm, I'm disappointed, no doubt, that um, you couldn't even get a second for him. I mean, he's your one expiring contract. That, that you could have done something with. And uh, and the Heat weren't able to do anything with him, and that's at least in part because of how they ended up using him. But I can't necessarily fault Eric Spolster. He's trying to win games, and clearly Wayne Ellington ceased to help you win games. And that is the disappointment, is that Wayne Ellington turned into a player that ultimately had zero value in the open market. Well, what I feel good for him about is at least he'll, he'll get to pick a destination. Sure. Because he, he's the one. We had him on the podcast before the season, and he made a decision to be here, right? Like, there were other options for him this offseason, he made a decision to take a one-year deal. He actually told us on the pod it's the only place of all of his stops, and he's had many stops, that he bought property because he planned on being here, and it just didn't work out from the very beginning. So, look, the, the totality of this is... Which, you, which, by the way, I mean, we can fault the Heat's roster building uh, again because maybe you have space for Wayne Ellington if you don't have five other shooting cards. <laughs> right, right. Well, well, and the other thing was, if you remember, now maybe they knew this was coming, but... Dwayne signed like a week later, didn't he? So, yeah, so yeah. He actually, 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 he was not the last one. And they'd had these efforts to try to move Tyler Johnson and Dion Waiters for so long that they probably thought, look, if they thought these contracts were movable, you know, when they signed them and then found that to be less movable, they probably still thought they could get rid of one of them eventually. And they just did. So maybe they thought that they were going to be able to clear out a player. Maybe they thought there was a chance Dwayne wouldn't come back or wouldn't be effective. And so, yeah, there might be some, some room for Ellington to play. Also, I I don't know that it was anticipated that Magruder would be as big a factor to start the season. And then, that Derek Jones Jr. would kind of work his way into the rotation. So some things did change a little bit um, for them in that regard, and especially with Winslow kind of converting more to the backcourt, so it got even more crowded. But overall, look, the Tyler Johnson contract, going back to it, I have always felt badly for Tyler, not from a lifestyle perspective, because clearly there's no reason (laughs) to feel badly for him in that regard. Um, But he, he, more than any player that I can remember in Heat history, went from sort of fan favorite to fan pariah, through nothing he did on the court, right? Like or off was, the court, really. Or, I mean, or like, off the court, he, he, he did a, nothing. He signed a contract, right? He was a good guy with the media. He went to all the charity stuff. You'd always see him smiling at that stuff. You, 
you know, his teammates liked him. He didn't complain about playing time. He played hard. I mean, you go back to, you know, again, early on in his career where he wasn't even supposed to make the roster. This was a player that the Heat identified. They were happy that he had a bad Portsmouth camp so they could sign him. And, and he did, you know, essentially all the right things except take the money that the Nets offered him, which is, in my regard, not the wrong thing either. Not for him, not in any case. And, but it's just like that, the, you know, the Nets were going to overpay him and the Heat decided that he was worth that. And that's not his fault. So I'm glad for him that he gets a fresh start because I, it was always going to be colored here in that way for him. And, and I just, I don't think he would have ever gotten out mm-hmm. from under that shadow. Um, you mentioned one other thing before we move to some of the other stuff around the league, which was Dragic. We did get some information, uh, which I was actually able to independently confirm uh, all, after the deadline uh, that, that the Heat, you know, that, that there was talk about that. Uh, and that, that one of the teams involved was Utah. Um, and so I, I'm assuming if something had happened, that probably Ricky Rubio would have come back this direction because uh, that would have been, again, a shorter contract situation. Maybe Jay Crowder, you know, who knows what would have gone the other direction. We, we were talking about it on our chat. We didn't have any information, but you know, Utah was in on James Johnson when he was a free agent. So maybe it's possible they were trying to move him. Ultimately, it, it didn't end up happening, uh, but that was one that, that could have happened. And the Heat have been open to trading Goran Dragic, and obviously they've kind of turned the team over. So how do you think this works now, Chris? Because basically Dragic is not back, but he's supposed to be back right after the All-Star break. Derek Jones Jr., you know, you're probably looking at another three to four weeks. So you've cleaned out Ellington, who wasn't playing anyway. Tyler Johnson, who was, but basically about 20 minutes a night. Waiters is still being worked back in. James Johnson is sort of being phased out a little bit. Olenek is back in the rotation. What is Eric Spolstra's rotation just for this year with this group? If again, if there's not going to be any buyouts and anybody added in that regard, yeah, I, it's a great question because you're losing two guys in Ellington and Tyler Johnson. Now, obviously, Ellington was not playing towards the end, uh, so I, you're really only having to fill in for another. 28 minutes, uh, you know, worth of Tyler Johnson, and you're gaining your point guard back. So there isn't a ton of change really to be had here. Um, so I'm just looking at, at the rotation from last time out uh, against Portland. Uh, so Tyler Johnson played 29 minutes in a starting lineup with Winslow, Richardson, Whiteside, and Olinick. Um, and then, so I guess maybe if you keep that same lineup, which isn't a guarantee, um, you just plop in Goran Dragic for 29 minutes and basically keep everything else the same, uh, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's basically what it looks like. And the nightman rotation on the night against Portland was um, Johnson, Richardson, Whiteside, Winslow, Linux starting. James Johnson playing 27 minutes off the bench, in which he played really well, by the way. I think he might be a bench player more than a starter. Um, Bam, Waiters, and Wade. Uh, Bam played 18 minutes. Waiters played 19 minutes. Wade played 29 minutes. I mean, that sounds about right to me for, for, for the rest of the year. Maybe Rodney Magruder plays a bit more. Obviously, depending on Derek Jones's health, uh, you have to maybe work him back in as well. But I think, you know, basically that same rotation with Dragic playing 29 minutes, maybe a little bit more and a little bit less for Waiters. I, I mean, I, I don't think there's really a ton to change here. Yeah, I, I don't think there is either. I think the big question is going to be, uh, what is Dragic's role when he comes back? Do, do the Heat put the ball back in his hands? And if not, because they've decided it needs to be in Justice's hands, how does Dragic, you know, how does that affect the way that he approaches the game? Because we have seen at times when Goran is not the primary ball handler that he disappears. We've also seen that when Winslow is out there with Wade or Waiters that he disappears. And so are there going to be situations where you're going to have Dragic and Winslow on the court together and neither of them is the primary ball handler if Wade or Waiters happens to be out there? I would guess in the playoffs, 
that'll probably be the case because I think it's going to be in Dwayne's hands most of the time. And I think most Heat fans are probably okay with that. If you're going to go down here, uh, then you go down with Dwayne Wade. Um, you know, I don't know how they'll feel about it if it's Waders, but I think with Wade, they're okay with it, regardless of what the efficiency is with either of them. But I, I do think and, that's and, something. And I, the other two that I wanted to say was, I mean, as much as Justice Winslow has had good games and he's been, you know, around five assists, you know, on, on you know, at least half the time. I mean, it's not like every performance has been consistent. I mean, you have your four for 14s against Portland for 10 points and five assists. You have, you know, 32 minutes against Indiana, seven points on two of six shooting with three assists. Like, he's not up for it every single night just yet. And so, I mean, you're going to need to have multiple ball handlers and you're going to need to have, you know, Goran Dragic initiating offense. Like, I don't think this is an offense where, you know, in a 100-possession game, you know, Winslow is handing the ball for even 50 of them. So I, I, I think this is going to have to be balanced from, you know, from Wade, from Waders, from Dragic, from Winslow. I, I just I don't think Justice Winslow is like a Chris Paul point guard where you just give him the ball and have him distribute and have him run the offense. Like I, I as much as he has no doubt grown in this area, and I think people in our network and otherwise have pointed out this is probably his future in the league, I don't think that necessarily means that he's going to go forward and be this guy that, you know, he's the the sole orchestrator of the offense. He is an orchestrator of the offense. I don't think that that precludes other ball handlers from playing with him. But what's the goal this season? Because uh, the other thing we're going to get into here is what happened in the rest of the conference. And it, look, the Heat was not going to win a first-round series before. I put the odds at about 15% if they got in at the 7 or 8 seed. They're less likely to win a first-round se first series now. I mean, in, in the past you know, week or even three days, Philadelphia added Tobias Harris. Toronto added Marcus Gasol. Milwaukee added, added Nikola Mirotic, who I think mm -hmm. is going to help them a lot. And Bo uh, Boston, Boston, Boston's winning Boston a ton has, of games. Boston has Boston has won ten of eleven. Um, and so you know, so the only matchup that that for the Heat ever looked like it had a chance was if somehow Miami got maybe into the you know the sixth position and Indiana was there. Indiana's not going to be there because of what's happened, losing Oladipo. I mean, they can add an Ellington. They can add a Wes Matthews. It's not going to replace Oladipo. They're going to slide down to at least five, I believe, uh, and be a pretty easy first-round matchup for whoever finishes fourth. So uh, Miami's chance of winning a first-round series, to me, at this point, I think 5% is about where you'd put it. So what is the goal here? I mean, one goal is clearly getting Dwayne Wade on the court for the fans as much as possible. That clearly the organization wants to do that. And I think it's going to happen even more down the stretch. But I disagree a little bit about the Winslow thing. I, I think the fact that he's had up and down games is even more reason to put the ball in his hands all the time. I, I think he needs to play through this. I, I think that, you know, look, the, the, the whole early part of the season was about seeing what Josh Richardson could be, right? Like that was the first month of the year was basically, is this going to be a lead guy for us and I think they came to the conclusion if you look at his usage over the past six weeks that he's not that he's a good player but the role they were trying to put him in early in the season is not going to work well to me the rest of the season is about Winslow and Bam and it's a little more challenging for Bam because you didn't move Whiteside you still have Olenek and you've got to figure out these minutes and if James Johnson is going to play you're talking about basically because James Johnson is essentially a big in their in their system that you've, you've got four bigs playing and you're splitting up 96 minutes between those four guys, and that's when you don't go really small with Derek Jones Jr. when he comes back. So I guess my thing would be, I think they need to stay committed to Winslow. I think that what Spolster said about, you know, Winslow is our point guard now after Goran got hurt. No, Winslow's your point guard now. I, and I think you have to see if it works. Give it the next, 
you know, a uh, couple of months, see what happens in a first round series, how he responds to that. Cause he was a pretty good playoff player last year. And, and I, as much as I like Goran, I think Goran is your primary ball handler when Winslow is not in the game. And I think when they're together, I think Goran is your secondary initiator. And I think, you know, maybe there'll be opportunities for Goran to spot up and shoot, which is something he can do. But I, I think you need to stay with justice now. Cause it, look, there's no, there's no winning a playoff series this season. Do we agree on that? Is there yeah, any? Chance? No, absolutely. Right. So, 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 what is what is the point? You're going to make the and, and the other thing that happened here over the past couple of days is that Washington, you know, traded Otto Porter and I, look, they got a couple of pieces back. Obviously, I don't know what Jabari Parker is going to do for them, but they got a couple of pieces back. But uh, Porter wasn't playing well, but he had been a core piece for them. Their backcourt has been playing well without Wall, but I, I don't know if they're going to make a push. Detroit. There was a lot of talk about them getting Mike Conley. They didn't ultimately do anything but dump Stanley Johnson, who was a massive mistake at number eight in, in the same draft. Justice was an interesting stat. Six of the nine guys drafted ahead of Justice Winslow have now played for more than one team. Wow. A couple of them for, for three teams. Uh, the only ones that are still with their teams are Towns, Kaminsky, and Cauley Stein, which is, is and, pretty and, amazing. And, and the Hornets are trying to you know dump, uh, dump Kaminsky today. Dump I think Kaminsky. They, and I think and, they and might and even Ka- buy him out. And, and Cauley Stein has been talked about, too. So it may just be Towns, the only guy yeah. picked ahead of Winslow that's still with right. his original team. So I, I just think you look at Charlotte, you look at Detroit. I, I think Charlotte probably makes a playoffs, but they didn't make a big move either. You know, there was talk about them getting Gasol. That didn't happen. So maybe they get a buyout guy, but Charlotte hasn't typically gotten buyout guys. So I, the Heat are going to make the playoffs, and they're going to lose in a sweep or five games. I mean, that, that's, where, mm-hmm. that's where this season is headed, I think. And if that's the case, I want to see Justice Winslow play point guard. That's that's where I come down on. I, okay, so my counter to that would be uh, number one. I really don't think like when I watch the Heat's offense, I I don't think that there is really that central playmaking figure. I don't think that's really in the system. I, I think the system obviously Winslow will bring the ball up the floor. He'll initiate some actions, but I I don't think there's necessarily that again that true out and out point guard. That guy's going to handle the ball a lot. And I, frankly, I, I mean, as much as we can try it, I, I think the I think the results are gonna again. We can't hurt to try because there's really not much else going on this year. Um, but I, I I really don't think that Justice Winslow is going to emerge. Uh, you know, I, I think it'll be pretty much the same results as as the Josh Richardson experiment. If you're really gonna go all in with something, um, I, I'm just not buying on the idea that Justice Winslow is gonna you know prove something in two months that you don't already know about him. I think. He's definitely improved in this area, uh, if not had it already in him, and it was kind of hidden for a few years. Um, but I think we've seen what it can be um, at its best. I, I, I don't think there's there's a great deal of ceiling that we haven't seen yet, but I, I'll obviously be proven wrong. But I, I think when Goran Dragic comes back, I mean, I think Eric Spolstra's, I mean, their, their, their task is really to do what they always do, which is to win games. I mean, you know, try and get to the sixth seed and, and see if maybe there's a more favorable matchup there. I mean, it's not that far away. You're level in the loss column uh, with Brooklyn. I think really the only thing that they have left to do is just win as many games as they can. I don't think that there's, the, you know, these epic development projects. Like, if, if they traded for Markel Fultz, that'd be one thing. But I, I don't think that uh, really there are these massive development projects of things we haven't seen yet. Like, we know that Bam has certain skills, and you'd like to see more of them. We know that Justice Winslow has this skill, uh, perhaps even more than we than we had anticipated. But, uh, again, I, I just don't think that there is this high ceiling, this unfounded ceiling that we we can find by watching Justice Winslow play point guard for 30 games that we don't know already. That, that, yeah, that, my, that, that, that's my view of it. Yeah, I know. But I, I, what, what I would counter to your counter, and then we'll move off of the heat here, is that 
you and others, and, and I would say even myself to a certain degree, uh, didn't expect the breakout that we saw in a very short period of time from justice. So I, I don't mm -hmm. my 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 retort would be we don't know. We don't know. I, I don't know if you know when the light bulb goes on where he's able to be more consistent. I, I think it's we've seen the performances are in there and I want to see him fight through this stuff and, and see if he comes out the other side of it. So, look, I, I'm a I'm a Goran Dragic stan. I mean, people know that, um, you know, so I, I don't have an issue with Goran Dragic running offense. I just don't know where it gets you ultimately. Mm -hmm. That's all. And to me, this season is about getting to somewhere else. It's not about this season. It's about getting to a post Dwayne future where you can sustain yourself, where you don't have to rely on all the gimmicks that the Heat have had to rely on this year to keep the fans interested. But you actually have a team and a salary cap situation and a group of young players that keeps the team and keeps people interested. And the only thing I see left on the mm -hmm. horizon is Justice's consistency and Bam's increased opportunity. I, I, I don't see anything else. When I rudely interrupted you earlier, the, the point that I wanted to bring up, is there um, maybe something in the idea that the Heat could do more to strike while the iron is hot? That now, if you said, you know, what can you get for Rodney Magruder? I mean, clearly the answer is nothing because it didn't do anything for him. Is there something to, hey, in November, when he's playing really well, let's try and do a trade then. When Wayne Ellington is on a great role, why don't we try and trade him then? And frankly, I think Justice Winslow might fall into that category. Like, I don't know if he's got a two-month run that's as good as the last two months that he's put together in him. Obviously, you'd like to find out, and, and you're not going to rule it out. But I, I do think that maybe there's something for the Heat to do a bit more of striking while the iron is hot uh, when they have guys that are playing perhaps better than expectations that ha have a bit more to offer for you know maybe a, a role that's bigger than a normal NBA team would give them, but because Miami doesn't have that central figure, year they have it like I, I do kind of wonder if maybe the Heat need to do a little bit more of asset trading uh, while they have players that are playing well kind of expecting that the other shoe is going to drop at some point do you agree yeah. with that yeah I, I think they probably need to look at that I mean I you know look I, I, I've said repeatedly that I didn't think with certain guys like Hassan or James Johnson that it was going to make much of a difference because the rest of the league knows what they are and what they aren't and so I don't think that a two-month good run is going to do it. Um, I think with Dion, there was an opportunity uh, if he had kind of come back and performed well, that, that maybe there was a feeling, Oh, he could recapture a little of that magic because he's a young enough guy. And, and you did see it for two months, but, uh, but I, that really didn't happen. And, and it didn't seem like the team really, was really encouraging it to happen. It's, it, you know, I think <laughs> to a certain extent, what's happened here with the heat is there's guys that they're done with that. They just can't get rid of. Like mm -hmm. it, it's not, I mean, <laughs> You know, De Deion Waiters and Hassan Whiteside, I mean, they've essentially checked out on them to a large degree, but they just couldn't move them. Um, and so, you know, that's where you are. And I don't know if that's going to happen with James Johnson. I, I agree that James is better off the bench uh, than he's been in the starting lineup for whatever reason. But, yeah, they need to look at that. They need to look at everything. I mean, what they did, to, you know, the past two days with the one move was essentially a, a very small incremental step to get themselves out of the hole that they dug for themselves. That's all. And, and so it's better than nothing. Um, you know, I, I don't think that their their record is going to be materially affected in a negative way by not having Tyler Johnson and Wayne Ellington. If those two guys had been injured again, Ellington wasn't even playing. You know, you probably wouldn't have even felt it very much, provided that you had enough depth. So I'm fine with what they did. I would have liked them to have been able to dump one more contract, James Johnson. But 
or Deion Waiters, but it just wasn't going to happen. We'll get back to today's episode of the Five Reasons Podcast in a second. But first, I want to tell you about one of our great sponsors, and that is Doral Toyota. Doral Toyota, where you can find all your favorite Toyota models, whether you're looking for a new, used, or certified pre-owned vehicle. Doral Toyota is located at 9775 Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphin Malls. I've been there before. It is a fantastic location. Experience the Doral difference, which means four years complimentary maintenance and roadside assistance on all new vehicles. In-house financing is available for credit-related issues. If you mention five reasons, when you call 305 380-1129 or come in the dealership. You will work with a dedicated manager, not a salesman. Unlike other dealers, Doral Toyota prides itself on an honest and transparent buying process. That's Doral Toyota, DoralToyota.com, or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. Vamos, let's go, Doral Toyota. All right, let's move to the next part of this, uh, which is the big NBA move that didn't happen. So there was a flurry of activity, a lot of trades over the past three days. But the one that everybody was talking about, one was Anthony Davis, and two, I would say maybe call it four, because it's pretty far below Anthony Davis, was was Mike Conley. Uh, and neither of those trades were made. How do the Lakers uh, – New Orleans has its own issues. I'm assuming they're going full tank, even though they didn't trade Holiday, and they've got to decide whether to play Davis or not. How do the Lakers manage this situation? Because, I mean, LeBron looked checked out on these guys the yeah. other day. Like He'd already traded them. Um but when LeBron was playing with these guys earlier in the season, they were in the fourth spot in the in the Western Conference. So how, how do the Lakers manage this? I, I do wonder, again, I, I, and I've heard David Griffin talk about this, and it's, something, it's one of the things that has made total sense to me uh, in the conversation around LeBron James is that basically you just have to get LeBron to decide – to affect outcomes, not that you, know, you need to do anything special uh, to you know to to get him to a place where he's obviously the best player on the court because he always is. But he can be in a place where he's not deciding outcomes even while getting his twenty-seven, seven, and seven. Um, and I, I think that the Lakers have not done enough in that regard. I thought their off-season build was horrendous. Even understanding that you want to build cap space and, and keep your flexibility, I thought it was awful giving Caldwell Pope that deal, even if it's a favorite of clutch sports was awful uh bringing in Stevenson and Beasley and all these guys terrible decisions in my opinion and so I, I and and the fact that the Lakers didn't even make a single move I, they they swapped players with the with, with the Clippers uh, uh getting rid of Beasley but I just, to me, the fact that they've done nothing to get LeBron to buy in, for me, is going to indicate that LeBron's not really going to be that bought in, and if they get in, they'll probably get in as an eight or a seven seed and probably lose in round one, and that's basically what they've decided, and again, we've talked about this a million times, but LeBron deciding not to really go for the title in you know with his next destination after getting there for eight straight years for me indicates you know one of two things either one he's really tired and doesn't want to do it or two he was so committed to the other things uh, about playing in Los Angeles about being in Los Angeles that the basketball didn't really matter that much and so I, I to me the fact that the Lakers are a non-entity the fact that they didn't trade for Anthony Davis and 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 all of that uh, for me it just sort of is fascinating that LeBron has basically gone in this direction and said, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with being where I am. And the fact that the Lakers uh, haven't been able to do anything to really surround him, uh, number one, uh, it sort of suggests that they've 
frankly, overplayed their hand with the rest of the league. It seems like the rest of the league is kind of sick of them. And number two, they have failed pretty dramatically in their drafting to not have that one asset that another team would value to the degree that they will pull the trigger on an Anthony Davis trade or on uh, the Kawhi Leonard trade. Otherwise, they would have gone and done it. So, uh, again, a a lot of failures for the Lakers encapsulated with this lack of movement here at the deadline. Well, and and you can argue that uh, if they still had D'Angelo Russell, he might have been the most attractive asset that they would have had to trade. And I I understood why they did that because they had to clear the space. But it's kind of funny as you look back because that was the guy that they were hopeful to get rid of. And and right now, obviously, he's got, you know, some time on Lonzo Ball, but he's tracking ahead of Lonzo Ball. I I, I think, you know, what you're seeing with LeBron is uh, LeBron is going to be passive aggressive about this um, because which is general, generally his modus operandi. Well, it is. But but particularly in this regard, because he is going to, you know, he, he can tell himself that the winning doesn't matter and that he had all these other opportunities. And I do think that the other opportunities, all, you know, the off-the-court stuff, you know, were instrumental in him wanting to go to Los Angeles. There's no question about that at this stage. He also wasn't going to play for Dan Gilbert anymore under any circumstances, which eliminated that as an option. And the other options that he had, I just don't think were that attractive to him. Philadelphia, you know, it's, it's interesting to think what would have happened now if he'd gone there because now you've got Butler and Tobias Harris there where sort of LeBron, they had hoped LeBron would be. Um, and Fultz is gone as of today. And so, you know, we're talking about the young core that he was going to be playing with there. I wonder how that would have worked. Houston, another one, you know, he would have gone down to play with his buddy, Chris Paul, who of course got hurt again. And I don't know how it would have worked with Harden, you know, with Harden's 40 usage rate with LeBron there. I mean, would the two of them have actually worked together, but those were really his only other options other than, other than going to Los Angeles. So in that sense, it became kind of an easy choice. And I was watching that special that he does with Maverick Carter and Rich Paul and all that. And he was talking a little bit. Well, they were saying to him, they're like, if you hadn't gone to L.A., you know, when they were making the decision, if you hadn't gone to L.A., would you've always regretted not going to L.A.? I think that was always in the back of his mind. I think his rivalry with Kobe, again, conversations that I had with him over the years about Kobe, I think drove him in part out there. So I think he can tell himself that it was all these other things. There wasn't another team to go to. I've got all these opportunities. I've got, you know, he's, I mean, he's, he's executive producer of like every movie and television show that's coming out in the next six months. <laughs> I think, I think he can tell himself that, but then what happens is then he realizes he's LeBron James and he's being judged on the winning. Okay. And I think that's where the passive aggressive stuff always comes out. Like even when he went to Cleveland the first year and I was there, I, I covered probably 55 of their 82 games that year, plus every game of the playoffs, except one. The one that they, the one that David Blatt called the timeout, he didn't have. That's the one I missed. <laughs> but, but you know, even that year, he went up there with the whole idea: I'm going to play with the young guys, all the rest of this. It's going to be a process. And then I was around him when they were 19 and 20, and he was shooting Dion dirty looks from across the room. Okay, that's that's where he's always going to default to because a he's ultra, 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 ultra competitive, and b he hates the talk about him not winning enough. And so I do think that there's a passive-aggressive thing that's going to start to come out even more. We saw it the other night with the sitting three zip codes away from where the rest of the young players were on the bench. There's probably going to be a little more of that. I do think, I don't know who said this. There was somebody on NBA TV who said that Luke Walton's probably the one that's going to pay the price now because if they couldn't move the players for Anthony Davis, if the Lakers kind of can't get out of their own way coming out of the All-Star break, They'll, they'll make a change. And 
God help them if they hire Jason Kidd. Seriously. Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, and that's probably what's going to happen because LeBron's had a thing for Jason Kidd for a long time. He's not a good NBA coach. He's just not. He's gotten two opportunities. He was okay at the start with the, with the Nets. Then that fell apart. He was a disaster. And, and look, I mean, look at Milwaukee. Look at what they're doing now, you know, with competent coaching. So I, I, I think I think there's going to be more blowups. Um, I, and, I, and ultimately, if the, if the Lakers get in as a seven seed, They'll put a scare into whoever's the two seed. They might even beat them if LeBron goes nuts. But I, I do think that he's gonna he's gonna lash out again because he he can tell himself all those other things, but that's not really uh, what he believes. Now, right, now Mike, he, now he now I just I just want to give a quote to illustrate what you're saying. He was talking to the media today. Uh, there's nothing that I need to get in this league that I don't already have. Everything else for me is just like icing on the cake. There's nothing that I'm chasing. As you said, he's getting annoyed uh, with any you know discussion, again, particularly in L.A., where I imagine there's the comparisons to Kobe, um, and uh, and he's trying to get ahead of this narrative. He doesn't want to be perceived as uh, you know being around losing, and I think he's generally, he's always been, fr- he's always struck me as someone who's been frustrated by people who aren't on his level, and the thing is that no one else is, and so for these, for basically the entire team, again, even including the coach, um, when when you include Luke Walton, you know, was was an ancillary role player on championship teams, was an assistant coach, hasn't really done anything in the NBA other than be an interim coach for you know the greatest basketball team ever. Um, I, I just I don't think that he's got a lot of respect uh, for what's going on around him, and that's why you see him three zip codes away from Tyson Chandler, who might be the only player on the team uh, that would command that level of respect from LeBron James. So I think I think all of that is going to boil over. Yeah, and and that's been the case with his coaches. I mean, he hasn't. I, who's the best player he played? I guess Paul Silas probably was right of the co- players he played, played coaches he played for was probably the best player during his day. Ty Lue was a role player. Luke Walton, as you mentioned, was a role player. Spo didn't play in the pros. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For ninety dollars more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For one hundred and thirty more, you'll be a swole member. And for just three hundred dollars more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I mean, it's just, it, it is what it is. I mean, he's going to react this way to people. I think there's only one player he's ever played with that he's respected totally. There's only one. It's Dwayne. That's it. Okay. I don't think there's this, there's another one. I don't think. I mean, even with Kyrie, the the some of the childish stuff with Kyrie irritated him. And I, there's this revisionist history about Bosch. Okay, when it comes to LeBron, but there were times that LeBron was uh, there. Were, I remember writing stories about kind of LeBron would never criticize Chris publicly, but there were some times like I remember when Chris was struggling in one of the playoff series. It might have been against Hibbert or or KG because those were always the two we talked about. And LeBron pretty much said flat out, he needs to figure it out. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, so the only guy, the only guy I I believe that LeBron James has ever played with that he unconditionally respected was Dwayne Wade. And even with Dwayne, that last year in particular, 13-14, when LeBron would find out from us that Dwayne wasn't playing, okay, because that happened a lot, particularly on the road, that LeBron would find out that Dwayne, you know, was not going that night, there would be this sort of uh, like, oh, leap again look on his face okay that with that so uh, it's just it's difficult to please him i think that's where we're at all right let's get to um to memphis here because i want to because the conley gasol thing go together so mike conley was not traded he's going to stick there with with memphis anthony davis not traded he's going to stick with drew holiday um 
do you think that either of those teams, New Orleans or Memphis, just should have cut bait on the rest of what they're doing and just gone full tank? Um, I, I understand uh, from Memphis's point of view, um, you want to kind of keep one guy because the other thing you have to consider with Memphis is that it's such a small market that they got to sell tickets. I mean, New Orleans is the same thing too. I mean, they have to put someone on the billboard. They've got to get some people in the building because they don't have these big TV deals and um, they're just not the market size of team that is going to be, you know, be able to draw people, any people to the stadium uh, unless they have players that the, the community feels some connection to. So I get it. I think New Orleans probably is the team that really should have gone for it more because uh, they're right now in a mode where – depending on what they do with Anthony Davis in the summer, I mean, there's potential for them to have two of the top five picks in the draft. Like, let's say New York, you know, decides, all right, we think we're going to get KD and we can trade for Anthony Davis and and, and put him with uh, with Kevin Durant. I mean, Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis, you do that in a second, and maybe they get Zion Williamson in exchange. But if not, you want to have your pick uh, be number one in the draft so that obviously you can start your rebuild. So I think New Orleans is probably the team that needs to lose more and get further and further into those lottery odds. I don't think people really have an appreciation for, for just how much uh, that four fourth team being taken in the lottery does kind of put everything in play uh, for everybody. So uh, if I'm New Orleans, I definitely would have been considering it more. Obviously, Memphis only gets to keep their pick. I, I don't know what the protections are uh, on, on that draft pick, but I, I think it might be top eight protected with Boston. I'll, I'll look that up in a second. But um, but yeah, I, I think that with Memphis, I get it a little more because you don't really – I mean, J obviously, Jaron Jackson is someone that they believe a lot in, but uh, you're, you're not really fully there yet with, where, where you're putting him on the billboard and, and having him be the build around guy. I think Mike Conley's got to be there uh, to sell tickets and, and kind of be the veteran leader of that team. So I'm okay with it. There's not a pressing need for them to have cap space either because it's not like Memphis is really going to go out and, and make a big free agent signing. So I'm fine with what Memphis did. I think New Orleans could have been more aggressive in trading for True Holiday. But again, we don't know what's out there. But I, I think Memphis more than New Orleans, it made sense what they did to me. Go back to our episode. I want to introduce you to another great sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is Berlitz Broward. This is the best place to learn a language in South Florida. I can speak to it personally. My daughter already fluent in English and Spanish. We decided to introduce her to Mandarin. She's not even five years old, and she's already out speaking Mandarin, knows all of the numbers up to 100, and she loves it. She loves to go back because the way that they work with her, the way that they teach her, and they also work with me as a parent with her schedule to make sure that it fits in with everything else she's doing. You can also learn languages as an adult. They teach many different languages there. Again, English, Spanish, Mandarin, Italian, German, right across the board. They teach virtually every language that you can possibly name. Here's the number that you call, 954-743-0077. That's 954-743-0077. Mention that Five Reasons sent you. They'll take care of you. Never too early to learn a new language. Hello, friends. This is Josh Appel from Smart Your Territory. And I'm Mr. Bill 11. And we are officially on the road to WrestleMania. It is point at the WrestleMania sign season, Bill. If, if you need to get to WrestleMania, we can be your Uber drivers on the road to WrestleMania. I mean, what? You ruined it. You, you ruined it. I, I like it. I think we could make some money doing that. WrestleMania season is here. Stick with us here on Smart Your Territory, the Five Reasons Sports Network's pro wrestling podcast. All right, so let's let's go through the rest of it. Let's see. Let's go through what did happen, all of the trades. Um, I put this on Five Reasons Sports. What, who's the best player that was traded before the deadline? 
the consensus was a guy who was not traded today, which is Tobias Harris. So the Clippers basically decided they don't want to pay him um, at this stage and that, you know, they're trying to clear cap space for two superstars. Let's look at it from the Philadelphia perspective, though. Can those four guys play together? Um, I, I was I was listening to a great conversation about this. And um, really, the thing that is is most confusing, it's not it's not just the four, it's the five. When you include J.J. Redick, who, who's an important part of what they do. And the, and the thing that they're missing is defending guards. I, I don't know what they're going to do uh, in the postseason when they come up against, you know, Lowry or Irving uh, in, in those later round playoff series. Because if you're playing your best five guys, which are Simmons, Embiid, Butler, Harris, and Redick, who's got Kyrie on that team? And so I, I think that, like, you're talking about a team that maybe could have traded for Drew Holiday, like... Maybe you maybe you work out a three teamer where you send Butler, you know, to you know somewhere else and divert him through New Orleans or whatever the case may be. But I think Drew Holiday would have been perfect for the Sixers team. But um, but yeah, I think that would be my concern with them in general. I, I, I and and I've, I'm now going to grow infatuated with this phrase because uh, it perfectly encapsulates what is now my growing feeling about the NBA. Um, is a Draymond Green quote that he dropped, which is there are 82 game players and there are 16 game players, and I think they've got. Four and if you include Redick five, damn, sell it. Sixteen game players, um, and I'm really looking forward to what they look like in the postseason. Now it's a hell of a coaching job that Brett Brown's got in his hands because it was already hard enough to figure out how to work Butler in with his team. Now you're working Harrison. Um, you've got 28 games to figure it out, and maybe a first round playoff series depending on who it's against. But and then also you're talking about working in buyout guys and you know maybe promoting guys into bigger roles than they should have had, and maybe you're throwing Boban out there. Like I, for me, uh, Philly is no doubt the most volatile of the top four teams in the East, but volatility might also produce the best team because I don't think anyone's got more frontline talent than Philly has. They just have to figure out uh, the chemistry and the depth of it all. Um, and, and I think it's certain parts of the defense, but I, I definitely think that Philly, uh, they went all in here, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad move because Harris, I think, can serve as a role player and, and do a job, but I don't know how that whole thing works, to be honest. Yeah, Brett Brown's got a, a pretty big task on his hands. Uh, but, you know, kind of what Boston's been dealing with this season with Brad Stevens. And, and that's, you know, that that you have guys who are used to being the lead guy. Uh, Jimmy Butler is used to being the lead guy now. Tobias Harris has been the lead guy with the Clippers the past couple of years. Simmons and Embiid have kind of traded off in those roles. What's You know, if you look at when Philadelphia took off last year, it's when, uh, you know, it's when uh, – Embiid was out right like for a period of time like and Simmons was was sort of running things like that and then you know they 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 were, had that ridiculous offensive rating so sometimes when you have too many stars at the same time it can be challenging uh with that said I do think the Reddick piece is critical to them because you know, now with Harris and Reddick I mean they have two you know guys who are plus 40 percent three-point shooters uh on the floor and, and you know we talked about they needed shooting we were thinking of guys like Rodney Magruder and Wayne Ellington, not like Tobias Harris, who's 43%, but can also do all those other things. So I agree with you. They're high volatility. I think Boston is still high volatility. I know they figured it out to some degree here over the past three weeks, but I, I just think, you know, with Hayward not playing well, with Jalen Brown's been better of late, but with all the pieces they need to work in, what I find fascinating is not just that Philadelphia went for it, but that Milwaukee went for it too this year. And I think what's what was compelling about that trade was you had New Orleans, a team that you know has tried to keep Anthony Davis but done everything wrong to do that over the past few years. And they ended up trading Miritich to a team in Milwaukee that I think is doing the right things 
to keep Giannis. I, like, I don't think the Bucks have made a lot of mistakes over the past year plus. I, I think the Bledsoe move has worked out. He's played well this year. Um, you know, dumping Jabari Parker worked out. They but but at the same time, I think, and, and obviously the Fultz trade is something we'll get to, but I think drafting Jabari to be the second star um, and not hitting on that pick. I mean, maybe I, I just don't but think that's I, previous. That's previous regime. No, 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 no. I understand. I understand from now, but I'm just saying overall in, in the grand specter of keeping Giannis, right? You need to have that second star as the running mate. And unless they swing a big trade uh, to get one of these top 15 players or somehow pull it off in free agency, I don't know how they can. Um, I don't think they're ever going to have that second star. So obviously you, you build it out with coaching and you know making solid trades like this to have just as many solid players as possible. But Jabari was the big swing you had to get that second star and it didn't pan out. Now they've done everything right since, but I think that might just be the thing that they fall short on if Giannis decides he wants to go, which I think of the major stars, he's probably the least likely to. But still, if he decides that he wants to to go not having the second star is going to be the reason why well it, it makes it more challenging but again if you're Giannis and you're looking at it you're like well these are not the guys who made that mistake I mean I and so it's a different regime and, and so I think if you look at what the the organization has done in the, what the past I think it turned over what two and a half years ago I think if you, if you look at what they've done since if you look at the coaching change that they made that he might be comfortable enough with sort of the idea that they may get it eventually now Cleveland went seven years without getting a second star for, for LeBron. They tried, you know, Amari the first time around, they tried Amari Stoudemire. They tried Chris Bosch wouldn't go there. A similar situation in the regard that it's not an attractive city. Um, but w- the, the difference I, I see is that that Cleveland regime, LeBron had lost confidence in them. I don't know that Giannis has lost confidence in this one. I, I think the Miritich move uh, just in terms of a patch move for this year is brilliant for them um, to, to have another shooter in the front court. I mean, they can now space the floor with Brooke Lopez and with Miritich. They've got shooters all over the roster around Giannis. They've essentially made it irrelevant to a certain degree in terms of whether or not he's a three-point shooter at this stage. I just think it makes them a lot better. The only problem with Miritich is he's been tough to play defensively in some situations, particularly in the playoffs. The Bulls had a problem with that, and they kind of shelved him. Thibodeau wouldn't play him. So I'm curious to see what happens there with Bud, if he'll play him, because Bud will – prioritize that side of the, that side a lot but I really liked I liked the move for Milwaukee I think I think in terms of what they had to deal with at this time I thought it was about as good as they could do agreed I, I think I think that Milwaukee um with everything that they've got I think adding Miritich for basically nothing they traded Jason Smith uh Stanley Johnson and four second round picks um which you know is is a lot again we're talking about those one year rentals it's got to be of the quality of Miritich uh to to yield something like that but I think what they're I mean they're top of the Eastern Conference they're they're top of the pile and they added another player um to a team that already just works perfectly my fear with them is that they've got the Atlanta uh, of of a few years ago when a lot of people were talking themselves into I I certainly was doing it uh into them beating uh Cleveland in 2016 when they were winning 60 games in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, as a frontline talent, Giannis is way better than anyone on that Atlanta team. But I think that they're just so relentlessly solid. Um, I don't know if there's the ceiling there that, you know, Pete Kawhi Leonard, you know, with Kyle Lowry as his running mate, uh, Pete Kyrie Irving with, you know, all of his teammates as his running mates, uh, Pete, everyone on Philly um, might just have that higher ceiling.
ceiling than Milwaukee. But as far as what they can do with what they have available, I think they've done an amazing job. And I think you just can tell the difference of what competent coaching does for a team. And we talked about Jason Kidd earlier. I mean, there has not been a more stark contrast in what coaching can do for a team than what Mike Budenholzer is doing for Milwaukee. So I definitely rate them uh, to get to get far in the Eastern playoffs. But it's just the reality of, of the top four in the East right now that uh, two of these teams are going to have to go out in the second round and feel really disappointed about it. Yeah, and with Indiana likely slipping to five, then th- these are the two matchups we're looking at. So let's look at the other team, the one we haven't mentioned, which is Toronto. They go out and get Marcus All hasn't been great for the past couple of months, uh, but is in my view at this stage is still an upgrade over over Valanciunas. He just does more things on the floor, and he's a passing big. I think you and I talked the other day about whether or not Toronto would want a center because they they have Ibaka they use a lot there, and they have Siakam in the front court, and whether or not they would want to add. Uh, a center to me if they were going to add a center it had to be a center like this a a center who could step out make a three pass from the high post pass from the low post um, and still is a really good he's not what he was but he's still a really good positional defender Um, so he doesn't hurt you on that end either to me if you're the Raptors you have to do everything you possibly can to convince Kawhi Leonard to stay or to take a shot while you still have Kawhi Leonard and to me this this satisfies both for them they get to the I mean they can get to the finals um and that is why you do this trade why they've done it why they why they've done everything that they've can I think it's been for a team that is kind of doing a rebuild right they're doing a rebuild from a, a team that reached its ceiling got to 55 56 wins I think they got to 59 wins last year uh, but just couldn't they, they, they were the ultimate 82 game team and not a 16 game team and I think Marcus Gasol is a better 16 game player than he is an 82 game player um and and I think that or at least better than Jonas Valanciunas is who on a permanent basis has not been bad for them and and that's certainly something that you have to take into account here is that Jonas Valanciunas has been, I would say, a decent player and actually better in every statistical category uh, than Marcus Gasol, except for three-point shooting and passing. But it is that passing. I think you can get a big who can, you know, defend down low and who can, you know, score from mid-range and, and, and is a good pick-and-roll player. But uh, what Marcus Gasol does as a passer is just opens up an entirely new dimension. And I mean, how many times have we seen Toronto in playoff series without outlet valves? Without, I mean, it's just their outlet valve is get the ball uh, to Lowry to. Rosen, who's going to run an ISO set with nine seconds left on the shot clock and take a bad mid-range jumper. With Kawhi Leonard and with Marc Gasol, those are legitimate outlet valves. And I think you get a player in Gasol who, who I think would have been considered a star player maybe even last year or the year before. He's obviously been in bad situations. It didn't get along with David Fisdale, which I think for Heat fans is a black mark against him, and maybe it should be. Uh, but I think that Marc Gasol, even at 34, which would be my concern uh, in making this trade, is that he's 34 years old. But just adds a dimension, and if you're saying, like, if you're just sort of doing it from the most basic possible level, which is, all right, let's line up the stars, like, Gasol fits into that category. Like, you've got Kawhi, Lowry, and Gasol going into a series, and that's a pretty solid talent uh, to, to have on the marquee. Again, adds that different dimension. I really like what Toronto is doing, and again, you get, you get rid of DeLon Wright and CJ Miles. CJ Miles is a kind of career rotation guy, and DeLon Wright, a decent prospect, but I don't think you're losing your Siakams, your Ananobis or anyone that you feel like, all right, let's say Kawhi leaves, let's say Gasol leaves, and let's say that this is, you know, a complete 
complete rebuild job. I don't think you traded anyone in this trade that you feel like, all right, we're going to really miss that guy as part of our potential rebuild in case this all falls apart. I, I, I think it's an A-plus trade for Toronto. And then for Memphis, I get it too. I think Valanciunas is a decent player uh, you know, for his money on $17.6 million on a player option next year. Um, but I, I really like what Toronto did with this deal. Yeah, I do too. And, and you know, you didn't mention Ibaka, but he's been great this year. He really mm-hmm. has. And, and so, I mean, you're really talking about he's, he's not a star anymore, but he's playing, been playing close to that level. Siakam's been playing close to that level all season. So you really have five guys you can count on. Van Vliet, uh, you throw him in the mix. You mentioned Ananobi. Uh, they're, they're seven or eight deep still. And they're still in the mix for buyout guys. Like they will get a buyout guy probably this year because there'll be people who uh, want to latch on there for a chance to go to the finals. So they'll add a piece to the rotation. Uh, to me, Masai just doesn't make mistakes. He just doesn't. Like, like he. I mean, if you want to look at records over the past in terms of trading and drafting records over the past five six years, I will put what Masai Ujiri has done in Toronto up against anybody, and that's why they are where they are. That's why they could. They could basically, you know, acquire a guy like Kawhi, and it's why losing a guy like DeRozan doesn't really hurt them because they've built out the depth of this team to such a degree. So um, I think they did a great job. I think the only question left, and I think there are two questions really as we close this thing, which are, you mentioned it, there are four teams in the Eastern Conference that have a legitimate chance, and then all of them are kind of shooting for one team in the West. Who, I, You know, we can, we can talk ourselves into OKC with Paul George. We can talk ourselves into Houston maybe. I know you have at times potentially in a series and if Paul is back and Harden and we can maybe talk ourselves into LeBron. That's probably as far as it goes in the Western Conference. Um, but let's, let's pose these two questions quickly. If I say to you right now, pick one of the four in the East. Man, who do you I, lead I, I, was, I was fascinated today to see that the, uh, the Westgate Sportsbook had them all as the same odds uh, to win the title. They basically view all of them uh, the same. Uh, right now, I would make Toronto my favorite. I, I like Kawhi Leonard um, as the, the anchor guy of any of those four teams. Uh, obviously, Giannis is an incredible player. I, I really love Kyrie Irving. Like I've all, I've kind of been uh, a Kyrie Irving stand, particularly not even uh, even before I think he made that winning shot to win the title for Cleveland. Just like that dude plays well in the playoffs. It's a perfect playoff game. And I, I, as much as you know, there were underlying numbers throughout his career and his injury issue, issues. I think as a playoff player is just such a cut above. But I, I just I love what Kawhi does. I mean, he you know was part of the team that beat Miami here as has anchored a title winning team already. Uh, Toronto has as a great core around him, and then I mean, oh man, I, I just I love Philly. I, I love their guys. I, I think in a playoff series, as as a combination of guys, like as a starting lineup, it's as formidable as it gets. It just depends on what they can do. Right now, I would handicap Toronto as my team to come out of the East. Yeah, I would say Toronto also. I just think they have the best best mix uh, of players, and I think Nick Nurse has proven himself already uh, to this point. I, I think the coaching matchups will be interesting in the playoffs when you have Bud when. You have Brett Brown, who you really don't have anyone with that clear cut experience of, you know, winning at the highest level. No, you have Brad Stevens, who I think has been anointed already of the four. But but I I think it's going to be interesting to see how the the coaches match up. I I do think uh, that some of it may come down to matchups. Boston seems to have a thing over Philadelphia. uh, And so if those two match up, then maybe that plays into it. Toronto looked, uh, you know, the Toronto Milwaukee game to me was interesting the other day because Toronto looked terrible. I don't know that that would 
uh, persist in a series. If I was to handicap it, you know, I would say Toronto first. I would throw the other three into a mix. I would have probably have Milwaukee fourth of the yeah, four. I didn't, I, I didn't realize before I said that. I mean, you go by point differential or net rating. Oh, I it's mean, Milwaukee. They're, they're, they're so far and away. I mean, they're 3.2 points uh, of net rating uh, better than Boston, who actually have the second best point differential. They're almost a fi- five full points better than Toronto and almost seven full points better than Philly. I mean, Milwaukee uh, on regular season performance. Now, again, I do think that there's a difference. As much as those numbers are important to me and how I look at the game, I, I, I do want to see it in the playoffs, which sounds like the ultimate cliched analysis but I do want to see what it looks like in the playoffs but right now if you're looking at those numbers they're the best defensive team in the league and then the fourth best offensive team in the league that's normally the formula for how you win in the postseason so I think I think we might be giving Milwaukee a little bit of short shrift here we might be um but like you said you know who's going to be the second guy and in a playoff series that matters more than it does in the regular season so is Chris Middleton going to be the second guy is is Eric Bledsoe going to be the second guy is Miritich going to carry the load for them at times. Um, you know, I think they have enough pieces. Brooke Lopez has been really good this year. It's a great, it's a great deal that they made to get him. Uh, but who is going to be their second guy in the postseason? I think that matters. And then the next question is, can any of those 14, I think these are different questions, actually, you know, who gets to the finals and then which of these four teams would have the best chance to beat Golden State as currently constituted? Um, so, so you look at the West right now, I mean, Houston, presuming that, you know, things kind of stay roughly the same, they might have to play them in round two. So I think, obviously, to me, the fascinating conversation is who meets Golden State in the Western Finals because they're going to get there. Frankly, the way that they've looked with Boogie, um, the fact that it's been seamless is just, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Steph Curry is playing so well right now. And the fact that Boogie has not really come in and disrupted things, which, I mean, he could have, right? I mean, he's an all-star talent. Everywhere he's been, he's a a ball-dominant guy. And yet, it just works so perfectly with him. Golden State has been so dominant. The only thing that can really tear them apart is the KD thing. But... I, they're too good. They're they're going to overcome that, uh, and obviously they'll have decisions to make in the off season. But I, I think I think Golden State is just so much uh, better than everyone. Actually, uh, to me, the 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 area in which I've changed on this. Obviously, I've talked plenty about Houston. I still rate them obviously because Harden is so good, and with Paul, and I think uh, Houston. You talk about buyout teams. I think Houston, you know, above all others, is going to be active in that area. Um, but I I for me, what Paul George is doing in OKC. I mean, even in the context of his career, is so much better than what he's done and I think finally getting a player in uh, other than Kevin Durant over the course of his career that can say to Russell Westbrook hey I've got this like you don't have to be you know the the, you know you know the 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 crazy guy that's using every possession and taking every shot like Paul George can say to to Russell Westbrook hey I'm you're equal and I might even this year be better than you and I think Oklahoma City if they just can add a rotation piece or two in this buyout market that's gonna that's gonna step up and and basically allow them to survive this eight minutes a game that they need without what that that they need uh, without Westbrook and without George in a game OKC can be as good as anyone because they're because they're gonna defend really well um and Paul George is playing at just this ridiculous level right now that I think Oklahoma City, in terms of, again, having that guy at the top, it's, you know, Harden for Houston, but I think Oklahoma City might have more as a team. I really love what Oklahoma City is doing right now. I'd probably make them uh, the favorite of that next group uh, to have a go at Golden State. Yeah, the, the, only, the thing about it that I think it's different than Westbrook and Durant is, is I, I, I just get the sense that there's not the jealousy uh, that there was with those two. And, and maybe it's because Paul George was, you know, sort of, established somewhere else before he came in. Whereas Durant and Westbrook 
were, were coming up the organization together. I mean, they were a year apart, but they were coming up the organization together. Uh, and some of those jealousies developed and there just don't seem to be in this case. I mean, Paul George stayed in Oklahoma City because of Russell Westbrook. Kevin Durant left Oklahoma City largely because of Russell Westbrook. So uh, it's just it seems to be a different relationship. I do think OKC is dangerous. I was a little surprised they didn't do anything at the deadline, but I agree. They'll probably get one guy in the buyout market. It's been challenging for them, though, over the years. They've tried to get guys in the buyout market, uh, and it's been tough to do it. All right, let's let's do this one quickly. So we mentioned the four teams in the Eastern Conference. I said that I think Toronto probably gets to the finals. I actually think of the teams that could make the finals. I think Boston would have the best chance to actually beat Golden State. And, and and the reason I say that is for, and I know Kawhi, you know, was doing some damage before he hurt himself in, in that one game against Golden State. But the reason I, I say that, and it's hard for me to say this because I have not been the same kind of Kyrie stand that you've been, but I have seen it from him against Golden State. Uh, I mean, it, it, it existed. It was 2016. Sure. Uh, we've seen it in a lot of these big games. I think if Boston could just figure out, okay, who are our best eight and how are we going to play them? then I do think that that just having the specter of Kyrie down the stretch, making Curry work defensively, which he does better than just about any guy in the league, I think of the four teams in the Eastern Conference, I would give them by far the best chance over Milwaukee or Philadelphia. I can make a case for Toronto. I don't like Milwaukee's chances against Golden State at all. Uh, I just I think Golden State would would basically they'd neutralize Giannis enough and there wouldn't be anybody else to pick up the slack that Milwaukee. I don't think can score with Golden State like that. Toronto may have enough options because they have Lowry, but I don't see it either. Philadelphia, I, I just I don't know. I don't see it fitting well enough in this year for that to happen. But I could see Boston, but a lot of things have to break right for them. Yeah, it, it, to me, it, there's so many factors that go into beating Golden State. But obviously having secondary, tertiary scorers is a massive part of it. Um, not having guys that can be run off the floor or can be schemed out of games is a massive part of it. That, for me, hurts Milwaukee because they've got uh, they've got Brooke Lopez, who, for me, is going to be targeted in, in a potential playoff series. Like, I mean, can you imagine him being switched out on a Curry or him being switched out on a guys? Uh, it's a disaster waiting to happen. They'd have to go small on that that takes Brooke Lopez off the floor. Um, you have, as well, needing that offensive firepower, not just with, with scoring, but with shooting, um, and just having having the right personnel. So, like, I think Philly, I, again, we're talking about, you know, having that starting five that's on the level of the death lineup or, you know, uh, or the new death lineup with Boogie Cousins out there. Um, and having talent on the floor at all times that's commensurate with that. I think Philly having four guys uh, of the quality of Embiid, Simmons, Butler, and and Harris uh, is kind of like that. But the question is, is uh, do they have enough defensively? And as I mentioned earlier about the defending smalls thing, I mean, can you imagine, you don't have a guy to defend smalls, you're going to have a go at Steph Curry? Oof. Like, I, I just like, to me, there just isn't enough from any of the four teams, really. I, I agree with you on Boston, um, just because I think, there's an, enough you know diversity there where maybe it's not the same eight guys throughout the entire playoffs, but they might have the right eight guys for that matchup. But I, I just don't know if they have 
enough talent and enough scoring. I will say, though, the one thing about Boston is that I think it's a, it's a deserved criticism, one that uh, Giancarlo Navas of Heat Beats, uh, Heat Beat makes all the time, is that Boston has not really been a good offensive team in the in the Stevens era. This year, uh, they have gotten better as the year has gone on. They're now 112 offensive rating, which is ninth in the league. Um, so I, I think that uh, they're, they're definitely getting better in that area in order to have that firepower. I just don't over a seven-game series, I don't think Boston has enough. Uh, Philly, there's definite questions, but they might. Um, Milwaukee, I think, might have, as you said, from a matchup standpoint. So I think by process of elimination, for me, it's Toronto. And we saw, you know, in half a game before Zaza Pachulia ended it, uh, what Kawhi Leonard was on his way to doing against that team. And then Kawhi Leonard is kind of the perfect antidote to that Golden State team. So I'd love to see it. And as and, 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 while I don't want to be redundant by giving the same two answers, but I think Toronto might be the best team for that matchup. All right, so we'll see how that plays out. Again, the, the takeaway from today is, you know, that the Heat did a little something. A bunch of teams in the East sure. did a lot more. Do you want to talk uh, about the Fultz trade real quick? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess quickly, um, uh, you know, it, it's interesting that, that Orlando is taking the chance on him. I, you know, I had sort of made a recommendation for the Heat to do this. I don't know that they could have paid that price because, you know, again, the, Orlando had to give up what was the first, the second, yeah. and then Jonathan Simmons to kind of make the numbers work. I mean, we were talking about maybe you could flip him for Ellington, but as we see, Ellington's going to be available to Philadelphia on the buyout market if they want to make a run at him anyway. So I, I don't know that the Heat ever really could have gotten into that mix. Um, I, I do think it's a worthwhile risk for the Magic. They have struggled more than any team in the league to find a point guard um, since Jameer Nelson. Like, that, they have not, you know, Alfred Payton, the first-round pick, didn't work out. They've been going with DJ Augustine. Like, why not take a shot on that level of athleticism? I mean, that certainly mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, the, the one thing for me is that I wish that Fultz was going to one of the top organizations in the league, uh, just like one of these Spurs, you know, work with that that shooting coach that everyone talks about, or, or the Heat. Like, if the Heat, and we've talked about this before, but just you sprinkle that culture dust on someone, why not someone of the talent level that, that comes from the pedigree that Markel Fultz does being the former number one pick in the draft? Uh, like you said, it would have taken uh, a bit more to go and get him. I think Orlando had just the right assets, uh, which was, you know, a late first-round pick, a second, and uh, and Jonathan Simmons as well, who, you know, who knows, maybe they reclaim him into something. But uh, I was just fascinated by that, that, you know, that Philly pulled the trigger and, and you know, it's fired off the klaxon. They were going to let him go. Uh, maybe they're able to do something with that 2020 pick. Just again, just to have something for the future um, to, to make more trades in case they want to go further all in. They've they picked up a couple more things, but I really do think that when we look back on this era of Philly, and oddly enough, Philly has been a, a subject of five reasons debate recently. Um, I, I do find fascinating the turning point that that Fultz trade is going to represent in the history of that franchise because, again, if they get that right, as with you know, we talked about Jabari. We talked about a few others of these, you know, second second overall picks that haven't worked out or, you know, major moves that you make to get your second and third star. If they don't work out, they set your franchise back. Now, Philly is, you know, taking big swings in order to overcome it. But I think that Fultz trade is going to represent a pretty significant turning point uh, in their history. If they just come, if they just come up short on being a top contending team, it'll be because that trade didn't work. Yeah, but like I said earlier, you know, you look at the draft that Justice Winslow was in and we're potentially looking at seven of the nine guys are not with their first team. So it, it's not like it's that unusual. I understand, you know, it's it's obviously terrible to miss on a guy at that level, particularly if you're talking about number one and particularly if you gave up a first round pick to mm -hmm. get him and you could have had someone like Tatum or some of the others that were in that draft. But it happens. And I, I guess what you've said all along about the, the Sixers is, They've given themselves the they gave themselves the best chance, or the Hinky regime did by having enough picks that they got two pieces out of it. And 
they were now able to add two other premium pieces. Now they're veterans, but they're not old veterans in Tobias Harris and, and Jimmy Butler. So they've got two guys in their late twenties, kind of in the prime of their careers. I mean, Butler's, I guess, 35 in Tibbs years, but still in, <laughs> in the prime of their careers to go with two young players. So, I mean, I, I guess the, the broader point here is as we look forward is you've got four teams in the Eastern conference that could be a problem for a while um, for That's the, true. for the heat. And, you know, maybe Toronto is the least of it because, you know, Kawhi may lead. But but we've seen that Masai is so good at sort of, you know, reconfiguring this thing that I never am going to count him out. And Boston, even not getting Anthony Davis today, may get him ultimately. They certainly have the assets to do a lot of different things. Philadelphia has four core pieces that they can keep together as long as they want to pay him, which they do. And then you take a look at, um, you know, what, what you have. Uh, with Milwaukee, where you have arguably the best player in the Eastern Conference and perhaps the MVP of the league. I mean, if you're the Heat looking at that, yeah, like I un- I understand why it's like, okay, let's just try to push the, you know, it down the road just a little bit here until we can get ourselves a better position. Marginal but I think- gains in the interim. I, for, for me, the thing that, uh, t- to me, that I'm fascinated with going forward now is just how much is on the line in the Eastern Conference playoffs. I mean, if you're Boston, you are aching to make a run to the finals because you need to figure out a way to you know convince Kyrie to not go to New York. If you can go to the finals, maybe you know give a good account of yourself against Golden State and say we're an Anthony Davis away from being able to do this, then you can get Kyrie Irving to stay. Uh, if you're Toronto, you desperately need to make the finals to say, hey, Kawhi, maybe maybe we came up short against Golden State again. Also giving a good a, a, a decent account of yourself. We're good enough to where we, if we make the right signing, if we just we, we make one more move, um, that we can have the team that can beat Golden State or even be there to take advantage when Kevin Durant leaves Golden State. So I, I think that there is so much on the line in these Eastern playoffs. Obviously, Philly, their whole damn model is on the line, and and maybe Milwaukee is the least because they've they've made they've done so much to improve. But obviously, they're good enough. They're going to want to you know obviously you know make a deeper run of the playoffs than they had previously with Giannis. So. I'm to me the fascinating part is just how much is on the line for all four of those teams, not just this year, but going forward with with, with their models and what they've decided to do here uh, at this trade deadline. They're all going all in, and uh, two of them are going to come up shorter than they want. Another might come up uh, short of you know their long term goal, and really one team might be the only one that's satisfied at the end of all of this. Yeah, and it's great for the league. It, it is because right. you don't have LeBron in the Eastern Conference anymore just dominating people. It's going to be the most compelling Eastern conference playoffs that we've seen in a while. Once you get out of the first round, the right. first round be a is, tire fire. is going to be ugly. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, Indiana might end up being the worst of the, Well, they might still be better than the heat, but they might be the worst of the teams that make it because of not having, I will say, and fairness to them, they've played pretty well in the absence of Oladipo. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they've, well, they've they survived. Lost, they hammered, they, lost they hammered the Lakers four. last night. Well, yeah, I, I think a lot of teams would have, I, I mean, they lost their first four and, and they've looked better the last couple, but, you know, I, I don't I don't think that's sustainable. They, they don't have a go to guy. And I think ultimately yep. uh, that's going to get to them. All right. The one thing I want to mention before we leave here is we are credentialed for NBA All-Star Weekend for Wade Weekend. Dwayne's last All-Star game will be the only outlet in South Florida. I believe it's got more than one person up there. I'll be up there with Nikias Duncan and with Greg Sylvander, who you know, is Lefty Life on Twitter. We're going to have exclusive content on our patron feed. You should subscribe to that on Podbean, and it's then that's free on Google Play or iTunes, and it's $3 a month, and you get a ton of extra content, including all of this all-star content that we're going to be doing. And I'm probably going to tape a couple of podcasts up there with Nikias and, uh, and with Greg, and we'll put them on this feed and probably on the Miami Heat beat 
feed as well. So definitely check that out. But uh, we're going to be all over Dwayne's last week. And it really is, uh, to me, the last, uh, you know, Dwayne's departure here is kind of the last significant thing that's really going on uh, with the Heat this season. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Fire Ringer Podcast. Thank you so much. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.